<coughs> settle into a treat and attune to the qualities of it, the rhythms and the silences and the focusing. What's happening in the body, what's happening in the mind, how the two fit together, what is wholesome, that which leads one to a bright tone of mind, and what is unwholesome, that which leads one to states of mind that oscillate from excitement to regret, kind of tense, unsatisfied state. Recognizing that um, the brightness of wholesome states doesn't always arise through pleasant feeling. Sometimes we have to deal with painful feeling. And it's uh, it's not entirely whether the initial feeling is painful or pleasant, but what it leads to when we handle that. So some pleasant feeling leads to defilements, <coughs> excitement, agitation. Some pleasant feeling leads to calm and uh, samadhi. Some unpleasant feeling leads to um, insight and release. Coming up against an obstacle, handling it, struggling with it. Un, you know, taking, uh, seeing through it leads us to a release, bright tone. Some unpleasant feeling leads one to depression or sadness. Mm. So it's not one can't really judge the practice on pleasant feeling alone, but uh, there is, say, the agreeable result is the as a bright steady tone of heart, chitta, who comes through wholesome numbers. So a lot of our practice is working on things that we're not entirely sure, is this skillful or unskillful. And we have to begin to develop our panya, our discernment, through practicing. This really is the, you know, the basic underpinning of the Buddhist teaching. Mm-hmm. The, when one arrives at the, the proper tonality, the steady, open, bright, not necessarily, you know, dazzlingly bright, but kind of, it's, it's not, uh, it's, it's an open um, light state. Where there is um, <coughs> mindfulness, <coughs> conscience for oneself, sense of valuing oneself, mm. and conscience and concern for how one affects others. These are aspects of what all underlie all, all wholesome factors. <coughs> So often those are, if you like, those are um, specific features, but um, just rather than just the ideas themselves, but also just acknowledging the tonality of those. Because this is what we can then rest in, becomes a base for meditation, viveka. And the meditation is really gathering oneself into that, reviewing that, reviewing bodily sensations, thoughts, impressions, and so forth from that place, so that where they don't stick. And we can um, see through the 
sticky assumptions or delusions or compulsions that infect affect the jitta. So this is the, the basic practice. And when one reads the uh, suttas, you recognize that uh, the Buddha certainly you know, taught uh, some meditations, some, med- some specific meditation themes. And yet many, many times there's no particular theme mentioned. But to know the feeling is the feeling. To be on guard against the power of feeling. To, uh, to watch out for the the unruly mind or the inflamed heart mm. and just that uh, someone dwells vigilant around these things when these phenomena arise they know how to restrain them see into them, check them, allay them undo them release them and uh, then of course there are particular meditation themes <coughs> mindfulness of breathing to, to sustain and, and steady mindfulness so that one can, doesn't get uh, caught up in thoughts metta bhavana to dispel ill will mistrust, bitterness, these things a super, an attractiveness of the body to dispel fascination, sexual desire. So fairly um, well-trodden, well-expounded themes. And, you know, we can develop those. Um, in the Anusati, recollections, recollections of the Buddha, Dhamma Sangha, just turning, bringing these themes into mind, handling them until the tonality of what they're about, their meaning, uh, begins to settle into the heart. And one can receive the, the brightness of that particular recollection, the Buddha, the accomplished one, the awakened, the pure, the knower, uh, the awakener. <coughs> this, you know, this, uh, either the, the nine epithets of the Buddha or the, some of the Buddha's teachings, the Buddha's presence, what, one, what Buddha means <coughs> as a human accomplishment, awake, wakeful, clear, steady, balanced, <coughs> the Dharma, the Sangha, teaching immediate, not delayed in time, leading one inviting one, saying, look at this, penetrate this, investigate this, don't get stuck in this. This particular, you know, teaching that's not a a, a dogma, it doesn't actually say, cling on to this one. Even even the teaching itself, it doesn't say, don't even cling to the teachings. So it's the the ultimate um, vehicle that, that disbands itself even to lead to to the, the goal the complete disbanding of all attachment <coughs> Sangha the people who who can pick up so it's not just the Buddha but also people who can pick up and from their uh, relative state still put forth the effort <coughs> the aspiration and accomplish things uh, Good to recognise the sangha is like a gradation of discipleship. Is it that really one who makes the commitment can be part of that, in some sense, on the path to the stream winner, or so on, and so on. So we're going to find a place in these recollections that we can set where the mind settles. We feel we can take it in, turn it over. Mm-hmm. Steady ourselves within that. <coughs> it's a tonal thing. These are not just um, liturgies. Uh, as an external form. 
the recollections if you collect yourself tune to those recollection of mortality Mm. days and nights are relentlessly passing we can all die tomorrow somebody gave me a book on this about this man who was um, editor of a fashion magazine in, in France one day he gets up goes to goes to drive off to work goes for a drive and bang has a stroke and it um, it's a stroke to the brain stem so from that day onwards he's completely paralysed speechless all he can do is move his left eyelid and he manages to dictate a book with his left eyelid by winking it and so they set up a system whereby the first the, the alphabet is arranged in terms of frequency of letters so the person will then somebody reads these letters off the card and he winks when they get the right letter he writes a whole book like that so you know you see that human beings can kind of incredibly uh, ingenious uh, in terms of what they want to do they can do it <laughs> in any way you, you know you, you can if you really want to do something you can do it and he writes this book and it's just about what it's like to be incarcerated in, the, in a dead body you know, more his dead body still alive, you know, we can't move it You're stuck in this thing with people lugging you around and poking you with things and not able to even eat they have this sort of brown sludge pumped into his guts to keep him going because he can't, hasn't got the muscle to swallow anything he writes a book about day, you know, days in the life of what it's like so somebody wakes up one morning and finds somebody stitching up his right eyelid sewing it up sitting on top of him sewing up his eyelid because the eye's just kind of hasn't got any muscle in it so it's just left open and of course it, things could fall on it and damage the cornea so he sews up his right eyelid imagine waking up one morning and finding somebody sewing up your eye he's only got his one eye left his left eyelid you can see with you can wink you know and the kind of things you have to put up with and uh, you know thinking that actually we've got pretty good (laughs) 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 you know (laughs) he's actually managed to make a quite interesting life out of it he only stays alive for a couple of years but he he recollects and thinks and sees things and you know takes in everything through this one organ he has he can hear as well his hearing's all distorted just through that he can communicate through that yeah. you see the, the you know though he's not a very spiritual person just you see the in terms of his thinking his attitude just the raw energy of a human being, you know what what they can do, and they through the limited channels that are available. You know, I think this is just a very good recollection as well. There's a marana, the fact that we can all die or be mutilated or you know be crippled, maimed in any moment, really. And then also this this incredible quality of human beings you know, to be able to rise up work through that not once, not once in this book does this person actually complain you know he makes some droll remarks but there's no self pity in it mm. Mm.
Actually, we have, um, comparatively speaking, really quite an easygoing, comfortable life. <coughs> Sometimes the, um, we can lose focus. Uh, so these things like Maranusati, Buddhanusati, are there to help us sustain a certain focus in our lives because we can when you've got a lot of sense faculties that are operating, not just one eyeball, then they start getting, you know, they can get quite frisky. <laughs> and uh, you know, here, there, everywhere, all the possibilities of things we could do and places we could go and the way it could be and should be and so on. Which one can entertain one who's got a reasonably healthy body and, uh, you know, in a kind of fairly okay country where you're not, not a... You know, freedom of movement, freedom of speech, and so on. Very peaceful. You can do things. So sometimes that that you have to really pull curb the out the all that energy, and using these these recollections as a way of trying to bring the mind into that focus. Since we have this time. Yeah, we might not have much more time to really you know, put everything, all our virtues, our aspirations, our acquired panya into into focus you know, during this retreat. So one of the regular uh, features or accompaniments to to the Satipatthana is tapas, which, which means one is ardent, one is keen. Mm. We have these three feet, three factors: tapas, which is ardent, ardor, and sati, ability to to recollect or to be mindful and sampajanya the ability to have a a full knowing fully knowing what one's about fully knowing a context fully knowing purpose fully knowing the aims fully knowing what is um, hindrance or delusion or irrelevant what is relevant this quality, these so these three you know, guard the Dhamma and keep one with it. And then it's really you start with mindfulness and you're just reading, reading the Dhamma from body, sensations, its coarse sensations, its subtle sensations, its energies, from feeling, from the mind state, mind the tenor of mind and from the phenomena that arise. You're just reading the Dhamma in that way, taking it in, settling into it. <coughs> tapas is something that's um, um, aspiring. It is partly you know, kindled by the quality of urgency, uh, need to for something to be done here. Death is coming. Um, we have this good karma at this particular time. It can end. That sense of you know, don't panic, but let's not dally. And uh, sadha, faith. One has faith in the in the Buddha and his teachings. And eventually, that, that faith, which is like a rising up. Um, quality levels and opens into pasada, which means one is trusting, which is a more settled and completed uh, quality to it. This um, so this particular, these, these aspects of the rising up, faith and trust and so on is, is very 
significant for 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 tapas and of course the sense of urgency. Um, we may have very have the sense of urgency or desperation sometimes, irritation. The problem could be that we don't necessarily always have that quality of of faith in a in a Buddha, something that you know in in a as a general thing in a society, uh, faith is, in religious leaders is pretty low. Mm. Uh, the tendency, because of the corruptions of religious forms, um, particularly when you see the politicised way, when religion gets politicised as Christianity became, then um, the terrible result of that is this, is one a sense of cynicism about not just Christianity but eventually all religion it's just another kind of power structure to manipulate people and to keep people stupid <coughs> so this is certainly something we have to work against you know that we don't necessarily have a, a religious um, String on our fiddle, on slack. Whereas one might say, someone like you, obviously in the time of the Buddha, you you, you read and can reckon on these tremendous, tremendous inspiration and conviction, and people really being able to, you know, put their lives on the line out of faith in a Buddha. Nowadays, people think, well, well, about that, maybe, well, but it could, I could do something else. You know. Easier way, quicker, cheaper, more fun, interesting accessories, and so on. Um, you know, obviously, those of us who have gathered here are people who have you know, seen past that and made commitments. Um, still, I feel that the quality of faith is something to, to focus on, to keep healthy and to keep sustaining, because it is a, a prime uh, mover of our, our practice. If we don't operate through faith, we tend to operate through desire, you know, clinging, uh, want to be this, want to be that, and so on. So, you know, if we can have any or we don't have any motivation apart from just to hang in, which, um, of, you know, it's clear to me that's not something that, you know, is a motivation for you people here. <coughs> so, but not talking personally, just talking the way the mind, any of our minds can go. <coughs> Particularly in a long retreat, you can get, one's mind can start off feeling, oh, it's be really nice, you get past the work, oh, get into some nice, you know, some decent, contemplative states and some calm states of mind and you know, really get down to the practice and uh, yeah very nice and, and that can happen but also what can happen of course is, is you know kill, defilements come up past karma comes up mind goes turgid mind goes muddy body hurts gets sick and fed up lonely you know irritable dull restless you know the whole thing in the details, fill in the blanks. <laughs> and think, well, you know, we'll think about what one could have done or should have done. So, <coughs> so when these are things that can occur uh, for all of us, I would imagine, perhaps not for all of us, but for most of us. Um, so, recognizing the need to, how do we deal with that? You know? When you can't go forward and you can't get out of the mess. This is where your faith really counts. You don't, you don't have to get out of it, but to be able to rise up or change the tonality of one's citta, which is what faith does, as an, as an, as an energetic quality to it. When you get depressed, you can feel that it feels like it's kind of flat feeling. So just has got no bounce in it, no spring in it. You get depressed, you can't hardly sit up, 
telling him to stir your tea. <laughs> and uh, you sort of mumble and grumble when it goes like that. When you get into doubt, strong doubt, you know, your mind can just start caving in, restlessness and so on. So the, the tonality of the chitta completely goes, gets shot. And in that, it's one finds it very difficult to meditate at all. Or anything like that, because the mind, the jitter is so um, un, uneven and um, unsteady. And faith is a uh, something that has this quality of of um, sending a charge through the through the jitter. It's not this is not the same as belief in something, but just the quality of. Um, being able to rise up. Uh, and this is what we have these forms for that. Like, you know, when we can't do anything else, just acknowledging you know, we have faith in the Sangha, which actually means us. <laughs> you know, and it means with all our warts and blemishes and so forth, and us as, as a practicing group. You know, so that Having faith in that, just saying the ability to you know to gather together and be here with our stuff. Mm. Yeah. Mm. Well, you can see some of these great beings like Ajahn Man, Ajahn Chah had tremendous faith in the Buddha. You know, go off on their own, and so forth. And you, you read of the things they do; it's really hair-raising, some of it. And you know, risking life and limb, half dead, starving. When Ajahn Chah gets sick, he just sits in meditation for ten days, solid, without moving, until, until the disease passes away. I mean, you know, what's happening there? You see that actually <coughs> the quality of of faith and tapas is so strong that it, it sends a particular charge through the through the chitta and it begins to affect the whole body. Your body actually feels energized by the quality of that charge. Which, you know, when we get when we get a powerful pull of desire, you can probably feel that particular charge. When you get a powerful sense of desire, something you want to do, you get brightened up and interested in eager. Or well, similarly you know, tapas and faith work like that. You get this bright charge runs through the system in a kind of physiological way, and you're there. You know, and whatever you're feeling, that's that's that and fine. You know, and it's not good, but there it is, and it's not taking over. And the mind is like this and like that, but it's not taking over. One can know this is the mind affected by, you know. Greed, fear, depression, doubt, and there's a there's a rising up past that. This is not just so faith is not just actually a system of belief. It really does affect the tonality of the chitta. And if your faith and aspiration is well in tune, it, it means you can have this firm, resonant base that you can check in with, and you can stay with, no matter what's going on, you know, if it gets really strong. Um, either internally or externally. And uh, interestingly enough, it's, it's often that the challenges that temper that, that, that put an edge on it, that, that make it firmer. So this is the spirit of Dutanga. Now these things can, can be misinterpreted from external, like you should be like this, or I should be like this. Then it's a view. And you know what a view does to your mind as an experience? A view freezes you, doesn't it? You get rigid. You can either adopt the view or feel intimidated by it. But you, it kind of has a, 
as a dumbing effect on your mind. And naturally we resent that, the I should be, he should be. And we can certainly see Sangha structures in that way. You should do this, you should be sitting upright, you should be diligent, you should be so on. And then the whole thing just becomes extremely nasty and uh, doesn't bring up anything good. We get out this, you know, authority, dominance and so forth. And Sangha is an aspiration vehicle rather than as a should-be vehicle. Aspiration is, is may I be. Different, different quality. You feel yourself rise with may I be. You feel yourself sink with I should be. <laughs> At least I can, anyway. It's, uh, you know, it's a kind of growling starts to happen when I get an I should be. <laughs> but may I be is a sense of, I don't know whether I can, but I'm, I'm going to give it a go. And uh, it, with, with faith, you're not saying you know, that there's going to be no problems or difficulties, but the may I be gives us a place to, to contemplate. You know, this is the doubt, this is the worry, the fear, the irritation, boredom, lethargy, so on, that. So it, it's, it gives you a kind of a tonal place in which you can base your, your mindfulness on, your mindfulness and your full knowing on that. This is the mind affected this way. It feels like this. It does this to the body. It, it brings up these perceptions. You know, these, these karma, calming attitudes, you know, the sniping mind, the whinging mind, the blaming mind, or whatever it is. It's like that. And, you know, none of this is really, <clears throat> none of this stuff is out of bounds. It's not that one's mind shouldn't whinge, complain, or whatever. You know, it's not out of bounds. That's, that's all right. But yet, it's something you have to. You know, give yourself a chance that this is karma. You know? This is the dissonance experience that we have. Uh, you know, we have to really see through that, release it. You don't see through it when it is, you know, just by thinking about it. You just be right there, looking the thing in the eye. Uh, and, and there's only, you know, it either looks, it either stares you down or you stare it down. And the only way you can stare it down is if you've got enough uh, sadha, enough chanda, enough, basically enough bottle, you know, to, to stay with it. Mm-hmm. Um, and in the right way. Not in, you know, it should be another way, but, you know, the, the quality of the uprisen heart. And, um, so this is this is really is, is a major um, transformation vehicle because it would be lovely, you know, if we could just do a technique and just slip graduated stages from this sense to this state to this state, this state to this state, and Bing, you know, ring the bell, get the prize, and it's all just all nice smooth sailing. But it isn't that way, is it? <clears throat> so faith is is being there with it when the, when the thing is not working. Um, you know. And uh, finding you know, that w- when we put that faith is strengthened if you do it if you're doing it in the in the right way, not from some I should be, but really aspiration. May I be? May I be able to bear my suffering? May I be able to handle the Doubt or the dullness. You know, come to meet that. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, yeah. Certainly, I found myself in, you know, living in monasteries. Uh, a lot of it's quite irritating. Uh, or has been irritating for me. Maybe my my bit, maybe 
whatever, whatever's it's the way it is, has been for me, living in groups, irritating, um, following things, irritating, mm. routines, somewhat irritating. Um, most of it is irritating. <laughs> <laughs> Of a like people. <laughs> it doesn't. It doesn't irritate much now. It used to irritate quite a lot, and it's partly because of the irritation. I wanted to stay with it because I could feel there's nothing really wrong here. Nothing morally wrong. There's nothing really unbearable. It's really all right. But Irritating. So irritation is something to meet that, you know. And so first of all, if you're trying to not be irritated, which doesn't doesn't really work, then actually just holding the irritated heart, you know, just loving the irritated heart, tuning into the irritated heart from a place of of, of uh, faith that this there's dharma that can come from this. This can be released. This can open up. This energy, which is trapped and seething, you know, could actually it could turn, cha- it could change its direction. And by and large, I feel it has you know, over twenty-five years or so. <laughs> <laughs> Keep going, Steve. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe other people are a lot purer than I am, or have been. <laughs> Don't have so much problem. Because <laughs> I always recognise, basically, you know, there's, there's people here. There's good people here. You know. Not their might, not their fault. They drive me nuts. <laughs> there's good things happening here. There's people keeping precepts. There's this, you know, it's good. Uh, so it's just a matter of really getting one's own mind to be able to accept and open up to the uh, other people's karma, manifestations, things not being my way. And then the practice of you know, having faith in, in Sangha and Dhamma. The patience begins to then be generated through meeting the friction. And patience becomes generated. I'm not, I wouldn't say I'm a patient person by nature or equanimous by nature, but it, it be, it's got generated just through meeting that edge day after day, your mind gets wider, bigger, more suffusive, more expansive, more ability to accommodate. And the tone is good. The tone is happy. Not, not through pleasure, but uh, through meeting discomfort. The point where I actually now really have more than I really trust the, the vehicle and uh, feel you know, perhaps even less uh, need to kind of prove it or force it or make it work than trust it. Uh, it will take me to the places I need to see and work with. <coughs> and keep the tonality bright or well serviced, then you find the meditation objects begin to come out of that. You know, the things that either your mind gathers into and dwells in. Ah, maybe your body, your breathing, maybe metta, maybe very you know, formal meditation techniques or particular states of mind or particular aspirations that you find. You know, your, your mind gathers into and dwells there and makes its home in. 
Because one, it's like the tonality almost sit, finds these places or begins to develop these places in your experience, for gathering in, for collecting and resting. And of course, it presents us, presents me, presents us with the stuff we have to meet, you know, stuff we haven't seen through. Remember when the pilgrimage in India was a very good um, testing ground for faith because it pilgrimage in India sounds well. That's that's a big faith thing, isn't it? India pilgrimage, Buddha, so forth. You know, and there, of course, was the beautiful kind of irony of it was uh, that in many ways uh, was not that inspiring. You know, you go with inspiration, but you meet. Um, you know, all kinds of things that are not very inspiring, including your own mind. You know, the kind of tiredness and sickness and fatigue and heat and irritated by the continued delays and frustrations and mess ups and this and that and the other. You know, feeling not not really in a kind of bright, resonant state of mind at all. But Quite a lot of whinging going on, and ifing and shoulding going on. <coughs> Come to Buddhist temples, and oh, finally we're in a nice Buddhist monastery, and there's you know monks handing money, running around doing all kinds of uh, all kinds of mischief. Not at all inspiring. Nobody meditating. Nobody you know even teaching Dhamma or talking about Dhamma. Basically, just people being caretakers of places. I'm sure that's not everybody, but um, this was a, a common perception that I came up with. But then, really, you know, having to meet that in myself, say, well, what do you want? You know, you expect the world's going to kind of turn itself into a Walt Disney, you know, Buddha land, so you can be happy. <laughs> Buddhist theme park <laughs> set up for your convenience. Or you can develop your, your own your own faith in, in the practice and in, in really meeting the mind and using this as a place of just bring forth effort, patience, commitment, resolution, mindfulness. You know? Fine, after a while the mind gets very strong in a strange way. It's still somewhere going through its hula hoops and um, of Stuff and yet behind it, there's a kind of unshakable stay with this, it's doing you good. Stay with this, it's doing you good. In this uh, monastery, there's like a three month retreat, you know, stay with it. Uh, and if you, see, if you attune to the tonality of that commitment, it will do you good. It doesn't matter, the rest of it, you know, you make it high, low. Doesn't matter. Eventually, you just because it, what is essential is the present moment, ardor, mindfulness, full knowing, states of mind. Work through the karma. It's not a theme park. <coughs> and these the challenges put an edge, and they if you meet that, your faith and that resource becomes stronger and stronger. And this really, I find, is something to emphasize because it, it's not something one necessarily would see written about or remember. You know, we tend to be attracted towards samadhi or panya uh, as, as you know, luminous possibilities. But I say, you know, faith you know, is as important, if not more yeah. than these. Yeah. So the edges, meet your edges. Yeah. This monastery is you know, pretty soft in some ways compared with 
um, other places can be stricter, sterner, more austere. Yeah. But considering the you know the resources of faith in in this society, this is you know you're on a, too strong. People just won't make it at all. Um, and the qualities of the climate and so forth. Yeah, but the edges are the routines. You know, particularly morning, morning puja, early, all night sittings, the, you know, and these are things that uh, naturally challenge us. We're supposed to be like that, in a way. Mm. Now, if we come to this sort of the, the should be attitude, then it, it's not. It's not what it's about. It just makes the whole thing nasty. But there's opportunities to to challenge and to strengthen one's faith. These are opportunities not to be missed. Mm. They're not supposed to be that convenient. Just um, taking this over a long period of t- over a period of time. You know, this winter retreat or a year in Chitvivekya or five years in Narvaka training or however it is, the responsibilities and so forth that accrue to one as a, a senior summoner. Mm-hmm. Within all the variety of that, we can recognize there's an edge there, isn't there? There's an edge where I don't feel I don't want to do this. I don't want to be with this. Mm. So certainly as a senior monk, you know, if somebody says, well, you should teach the Dhamma, you should be a good senior monk, then I'm like, no, I don't want to do it. (laughs) 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 Why should I? You know, some sense of... (coughs) You know, may I for the welfare of beings, you know, and feeling well. You know, if nobody taught me, where would I be? If the Buddha had said, "Oh, I can't be bothered," we all be. He didn't need to do it either. See, so. What would I say to the Buddha if I said, well, I couldn't, it's too difficult for me? What would I say to the Buddha? <laughs> or Ajahn Chah, you know, didn't feel comfortable. So, since for myself, in, in say, no one has to rise up, you know, not for no, in the right way, there's something to be done here. There's, there's goodness here, there's virtue here. So tune into it, give your faith to it. There's, there's defilements here, and confusions here, and pains here. Meet them, touch them, open to them. Then the meditation you know, comes around from that. So for me, like, Morning puja, <coughs> so forth. <coughs> Early morning sittings. Often the time when I'm just, just tuning in to a sense of where does aspiration come from. You know? Something that's done every day can easily become a. Here we go again. I'm supposed to go to this. I should do this, and all that flattening effect. But today is beginning. You know? You're with the Sangha, you're in the place of Dhamma. What's, what's the, what's the aspira- how, does it, what's, how does aspiration occur there? I have to tune to that with quite a bit, you know, working that into the mind, thinking, recollecting, you know, feeling, breathing in the body, like that, working through the whole system. So, just so that the tonality becomes 
firm, you know, you can feel it starting to resonate through the body, and the body vitality begins to come together around that. And it's, uh, there may be various things to tackle, particular states of mind, you feel dull, feel irritable, feel restless, or whatever. Then maybe you just have to meet those, or maybe nothing particular, in a sort of formless state, vaguely nothing, just needing to just get some clarity, some grip on that, vipitaka, just being able to sense it, hold it in the body. So, you know, what the meditation is comes out of um, the context and the generating of aspiration within the context. (coughs) So, when one is looking at, in terms of a a retreat, um, you know, there's going to be times of mindfulness of breathing, which I undertake as a, a primary practice, walking and so forth. And these, one should not, you know, mistake these for the sum total of practice. These are important reference points for the practice. Practice, of course, goes beyond that. Uh, and these these particular themes, such as mindfulness of breathing, can strengthen certain factors of vitaka, vichara, of samadhi, of mindfulness, that mean that we can, it overflows into how we meet the mind states, the body states. And there's going to be times when breathing as a meditation is really quite uh, hindered. So then we have to, you know, we can't necessarily do that very well. And yet if the mind has absorbed the qualities of tapas, ardour, mindfulness and full knowing, we can work with that. We can just handle that state and um, find our find our place with that. 